today, our society has a disease. It's not the flu. It's not racism in society in the United States. Rather, the disease is of the mind. How one may define this and how it acts out in society has been a topic of discussion amongst psychologists and non-psychologists alike. We will discuss this and more today. again everybody it's sunday march 28th 2021 so today we're going to discuss and uh, the title of this is uh, psychopathy and sociopathy uh, oh my which given the the events of the past year and in things that are going on in our society on a daily basis now uh, we have to start looking at these uh, these topics because I think they uh, there's an interplay here between um, uh, almost a group psychosis that's set uh, set in uh, thanks to uh, some very elite uh, players at the very top of our society who are driving this. And it's my contention that uh, these people at the very top, I call them the parasitic elitist class, are, um, are sociopaths or psychopaths. And they have a, a large group of flying monkeys that are at the top that are driving this. So I wrote an article yesterday, and I'll I'm gonna write I'm gonna go into that, read it, and then uh, we have some video and some um, circumstances have taken place recently. And I thought I'd uh, uh, we'll go through those all, and uh, we'll wrap it up. It'll this will probably be a pretty long uh, podcast. I'm gonna slow down a little bit today because I've been kind of uh, fast and the other um other ones i presented so so the title of this article and i wrote this uh 10 years of chaos uh the great reset bill gates and g today would have been my mother's 69th birthday she left this world in 2011 early summer at the time her cancer had moved to her brain like steve jobs who left in the same year as the health system was not able to arrest the reality of her disease. He was three years younger and many billions richer than my mom. They both ran businesses and impact my world to this day. 
My mom provided the values, the trek to empathy, and foundation and support in my life to which I can never forget. The other changed the entire world by his relationships to technology, computing, and the beginnings of the fourth industrial revolution as his co-magnets of the world have deemed themselves the progenitors of that. My mom proved one can be free in operating their lives not for capitalistic power, but autonomy and investments in themselves, their offspring, and their customers' benefit. Meanwhile, though I do not know Jobs closely, his successor, Tim Cook, has operated Apple for amassing power, distorting markets, and providing intelligence agencies all our data. He is not alone in that tech quest, quote-unquote. In a mere decade, the term big data has functionally grown into big brother. When my mom passed, Xi Xi Jinping was not the general secretary of the CCP. Barack Obama was the U.S. president. China, even with the knowledge of their desire to supplant the United States as the preeminent world power, their Belt and Road Initiative, was not considered a tangible threat if one believed those intel agencies, the United States, Again, in their analysis, President Obama trusted VP Joe Biden to handle Xi Jinping as Biden and Xi spent hours alone discussing things. Globalism, that countervailing idea to nationalism, is a terminal cancer that has severely imbalanced societies and countries, taking away from our humans, uh, taking away from a human's desire for stability freedom and autonomy and spinning towards governmental corruption and graft using multinational corporations as conduits to uh, conduct any number of restrictive policies indirectly to control populations for these governments. Hypothesis. Many of the parasitic elite resent the population who know these elite are criminals. And then I have a a blurb here from uh, my book, So, in the article titled, A Relationship with Jeffrey Epstein that Bill Gates Now Regrets, Stewart and Emily Flitter discuss in detail the adventures of building their classes with Epstein. Quote, Jeffrey Epstein, the convicted sex offender who committed suicide in prison, managed to lure an astonishing array of rich, powerful, and famous men into his orbit. There were the billionaires, Leslie Wexner and Leon Black, Politicians, Bill Clinton and Bill Richardson, Nobel laureates, Murray Gellman and Frank uh, Welzek, and even royals, Prince Andrew. Feud, though, compared in prestige and power to the world's second second richest person, a brilliant and intensely private luminary, Bill Gates. And unlike many others, Mr. Gates started the relationship after Mr. Epstein was convicted of sex crime. The New York piece continued. Two members of Mr. Gates' inner circle, Boris Nikolic and Melanie Walker, were close to Mr. Epstein and at times functioned as intermediaries between the two men. Miss Walker met Mr. Epstein in 1992, six months after graduating from the University of Texas. Mr. Epstein, who is advisor to Mr. Wexner, the owner of Victoria's Secrets, told Miss Walker that he could land her an audition for a modeling job there, according to Miss Miss Walker. 
She later moved to New York and stayed in a Manhattan apartment building that Mr. Epstein owned. And we'll leave it at that there. China and the New World Order. China had the beginnings of their social credit score system from, for controlling their population by 2014. This as the United States was dithering around in, in a Ukrainian revolution ostensibly caused by U.S. intel agencies' response to Russian military actions. Vice President Joe was getting the quote-unquote deets done there, according to then-Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland, who joined the Biden administration recently. Newland left the State Department as Trump came into office. She, le- she then went to Brookings Institute after heading up another think tank for, another, for a year. <clears throat> China's social system was a big data test, a control test, a proving ground that didn't have the problems of citizens having rights or autonomy topped out by their decisions. Rather, it brought the facets of fascism, crony capitalism, totalitarianism, and technology into a bat soup of abuse to anyone in the 1.5 billion plus Chinese population. China, in a mere decade of draining the United States of manufacturing, stealing technology from research centers and buying off politicians and public and corporate officials like Hunter Hunter Biden's dealings was positioning towards its long-term objective, 2049 world domination. Xi has likely moved up that timeline on that given the 2020 meltdown in the United States due to their viral asymmetric hybrid warfare shown above. And I have a map to that. U.S. education. In the United States, uh, domestically, education was diluted by social justice. Bill Gates, a very good friend of the CCP and G, funded the initiative and design of Common Core. As the Washington Post Lindsay Layton wrote in June 2014, The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation didn't just bankroll the development of what was to be known as Common Core State Standards. With more than $200 the foundation also built political support across the country, persuading state governments to make systematic and costly changes. Bill Gates was, was de facto organizer, providing the money and structure for states to work together on common standards in a way that avoided the usual collision between states' rights and national interests that undercut ever every previous effort, dating from the Eisenhower administration. The Gates Foundation spread money across the political spectrum to entities including the Big Teachers Unions, the American Federation of Teachers, and National Education Association, and business organizations such as the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, groups that have clashed, clashed in the past but became vocal backers of the standards. Common Core, and that's unquote, Common Core pervaded the U.S. educational landscape at the behest of Obama and his administration, while, the most, while most installations were done without any vote by a state legislature. Gates has pervasively bought up K-12, K medical schools, vaccine companies, think tanks, and chambers of commerce, with its investments being like cocaine to a junk, junkie. There are strings attached, an RRI, or leftist policy stances on racial equity or China influence campaigns. And so, go down. 
transhumanism, genetic technology. In 2013, other big data things were touching off. CRISPR. Genome editing became a new exciting field merely 15 years after DNA was fully coded. China and the United States, among others, are playing towards their godlike ambitions with technology being the being the god. Not so long ago, the Nazis worked to create a superior race using science and experimentations to achieve something purely evil and eugenic. Scientists, quote unquote, think this time will be different. So, definitionally, I got a, a little. Um, uh, thing here from Google. Eugenics is the practice or advocacy of improving the human species by selectively mating people with specifically desirable hereditary traits. It aims to reduce human suffering by quote-unquote breeding out disease, disabilities, and so-called undesirable characteristics from, from the human population. That definition came from November 15, 2017. Such themes echo here. In 2021, as Bill Gates, whose father was a president in Planned Parenthood, is no proponent of life. Gates funds plenty of quote-unquote population control organizations and does not hide that fact at all. Gates embedding like a viral infection into education, technology, extends deep into the media, agriculture, he is now the largest private U.S. farm uh, farmland owner, and vaccines, funding every major major COVID-19 vaccine, Moderna and Pfizer in the United States, for example. The Great Reset. Gates and his parasitic Davos friends are planning out humanity's trek into their transhumanism, as Klaus Schwab has written voluminously about this concept in his works, or rather, he had them ghostwritten. Who else but Gates Foundation is a strategic foundation partner of only three, with the World Economic Forum, along with a hydra monster of who's who of corporate behemoths, pushing their trillions to be destroyed climate hustle uh, change. You will own nothing and be happy is the type of propaganda Goebbels would gleefully enjoy if he were in charge. Something tells me he inspired Klaus. By now... One should realize this was a long-fomented plan at the highest levels of society. The parasitic elite rule people because they feel it is their will to do so. They achieve power positions, often unearned by any positive deeds. Acquisition of money is not positive, but rather sociopathic and psychopathic intent. Motivated, malevolent, and masterminding plans over many years, playing people off each other, driving chaos, often invisible by choice, and then visible again by choice. The far right side of the bell curve of high intelligence, 140 plus, upper and upper upper or upper middle class upbringing, eagerly motivated to achieve through others, in an amoral philosophy, no God, no consequences, interweaves into an existential danger to all normal folks when these sociopaths garner power. We know about the big three in the 20th century, Mao, Stalin, and Hitler. With sycophantic le- uh, lesser, lesser folks, the flying monkeys in their various silos, media, law, 
education, science, politics, business, one can really begin to see the chessboard. These people will carry out ideas of their sociopathic in chief. And no, Trump is not one. Narcissistic tendencies granted. Because those flying monkeys have pressure points. Family, hidden affairs, perversions, and financial lust that must be satisfied are only a few ways to get their monkeys to dance for them. Threats come too. Then, more permanent means. Personal knowledge. My mother was married to a sociopath. He violently abused her in the summer of 1982, and she learned from that experience and never dated again. She had been a devout Catholic, not like the compromised POTUS we have have been pretending is legitimate in 2021. Because she had, because she had me with my quote-unquote father, she attempted to make the marriage work. Because she was hardworking and dutiful, he exploited her constantly. But if she stepped out of line, at least if that was perceived that way, there was hell to pay. So I know the fish I am hunting for. I saw this movie play out at 9 and 10 years old. I've had enough life experiences to know when I see this stuff again. We are living this now, and the United States and the world is in grave danger due to these sociopaths who run corporations and even countries like the United States. Their lesser sociopathic flying monkeys are doing their bidding. It never stops. It just repeats every so often in human history. I write this approximately one year into this globalist maelstrom. My hope is, one year from now, if I'm still on LinkedIn or free to communicate, this will be thwarted. Every day matters. Time is of the essence. The clock is ticking for people to awaken before the sociopaths of the 21st century overachieve in their eugenics gold. You will never be happy again if they win. <clears throat> so I think you can understand where I'm coming from, or at least you should. Um, voice is getting a little tired and it's only Sunday. <laughs> so... Uh, let's go through, and I ended that piece with a list, a hair checklist, which my I uh, I applied to my father's behavior during this time, since I know my father very well, or at least know I put this way, I know my father up through the age of of uh, almost eleven years old, and I know his behavior since then, since uh, nineteen eighty three, which is thirty eight years ago now. I've seen my dad one time. Um, I've had conversations with him probably a half dozen times, maybe a little more than that. Maybe I'll I'll give it a dozen. I'll give it an even dozen, and 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 usually it's just in spurts. So maybe like three or four conversations over a period of a month, and then don't then don't talk to him. And that started in um, uh, two thousand, between nineteen eighty three, uh, he went to prison. He went. He spent nine and a half years at Fort Leavenworth. Um, his uh, his list of uh, sins are quite pervasive. He was married four times. He had uh, see one, two kids. Uh, so I have a half brother that I've never met. Um, I have a step. Well, I would have had a stepsister, but she's uh, she's uh, since he he divorced from his third wife, after, uh, which was caused by his his crime. Um, which he committed in 1988. Uh, I haven't, 
you know, I, I never met her, never knew, I don't even know her name. I don't know my half-brother's name. So that's, that, that's a, that just gives you a highlight of his, uh, of his sins, which, you know, as a, a person who, if I'm going to be uh, a person that believes in God or Christ or, or believes in, in some, uh, some, uh, actual spiritual religious, uh, belief, I, 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 I've forgiven the, the sins against him. I've learned from his, uh, his actions i've learned he's been helpful he, uh, you don't see the helpfulness of what they teach you when these people do these things um when you're in the experience or even even after the experience at least immediately after and at that age you you don't you don't see it that way anyway and you would never see it that way uh you're not supposed to you're supposed to be angered and frustrated and i stayed angry and frustrated at my father for well, I mean, probably uh, about 20 plus years after that, well over 20 plus years after that, I'd say up until about 2011 or 12, I stayed pretty, pretty upset with his, his behavior and stuff. And then I did enough, um, I guess, personal work on myself to, uh, to achieve some semblance of uh, coming to terms with what, what was and what he did and, and what, what, what he was. See, before that, I didn't really I analyze this. I didn't really even analyze psychology um, or even look at psychology. And, and don't get me wrong, I don't know all the facets of, of, this, of this subject of, uh, you know, reading all the studies and, and whatnot because psychology has become a, a ideological. It's moved to the, to the far left of um, the political spectrum for the most part. The people that are inhabiting this particular field of study are ideological so whatever's been written in recent times has been written from a skewed uh a skewed uh position so therefore it doesn't really have a whole lot of interest to me to try to to ascertain what they're saying today about things um plus psychologists and psychiatrists have have uh tried to incorporate new uh neurology and other things into their into their analysis because they've they've uh, done enough research recently, neurologists have in terms of see, trying to figure out how people tick. That they're trying to trying to to uh, pin down what what uh, goes on inside a person's brain, and they're not the only ones. Uh, there's people that are working in our our government that have have done experimentations and or looked at uh, how people who behave a certain way or have an, a certain ideological bent and how they can uh, counteract that or how they're willing to uh, um, make headway towards, uh, I guess you could say, muting that particular expression of their, um, their, I guess, beliefs, uh, ideology, anything. So we're tinkering with, we're tinkering with people is what, what it really boils down to, at least at the, at the highest levels. But getting back to what uh, psychologists and what I think are, they're not uh, particularly useful on this. I, I, I reference back to the Robert Hare's checklist because I think abnormal psychology is something that's pretty easy to uh, apply, at least in my opinion. Because I have to admit, you know, I, uh, I spent some time locked up um, and I... You know, I made some I made some unfortunate mistakes in how I uh, approached a relationship with a person, and not to the 
not to the way it was presented in the court of law, but that's neither here nor there. I could I could tell you all about it, and you would decide whether you believed me or not, and uh, based upon where you come from, um, you would you would say I haven't discovered every detail. I would suggest reading reading the court documents if I if I put that in I put that link in. In the description, uh, even then, it would probably wouldn't make any difference. But I could do that. I could point you to the direction if you really wanted to discover the truth or discover discover what they were presenting as the truth and what I was saying, um, which was this is essentially what this situation was about. It was about uh, my words, not my actions as much. But that's neither here nor there. But I learned something from that time frame uh, in being in that position. Because uh, I spent many, uh, it wasn't just a, it wasn't a night in jail. It wasn't a week in jail. It wasn't even a month in jail. It was, it was many months in jail. And then I learned from that. I learned from bringing around those people. Uh, when I say those people, the people that I was incarcerated with, um, they come in all different flavors, shapes, and sizes. Some are there uh, through, uh, you know, through the unfortunate circumstances of their life. Um, some are there because they they, they they have no conscience, they have no soul. Um, and you and the people around them know that too. You can tell who had who who uh, and you can tell by the level of manipulation and, and whatnot. So I don't want to get too far off on a rant, but I figured this was gonna be a rather long broadcast because I have a lot to go over. But uh, in going through that experience I learned something about the people that are are most prevalent inside um, in these institutions that are run by our government. And I learned something about the people that are hired to guard these people. Uh, they're really not much better than the people that they're guarding. In many cases, they're they're exploitative of the, the prison population and, and whatnot because they're getting uh, kickbacks from the street and they're, uh, they're, there's deals that are being cut and made and, I mean, there's a whole economy that goes along with uh, the prisons and the in the ju- judicial system. Uh, there's money to be made off of how much money is invested in certain scenarios. That's why they privatize uh, systems and privatize the prisons and and whatnot. And there's people that are hustling in that particular thing. See the the the, the rudimentary problem here is the is the people is how people have become accustomed to this being a way of being um, in our society it's become a disease it's become a it's become a disease of uh, the mind uh, the body the soul the spirit I mean you can you can depending upon how you pre- present this and I know there uh, uh, I will um, play something from um, uh, uh, a few uh, from a person who just posted a article or I guess you could say a video called the people of the lie but uh, first we're going to go over the Robert Hare he was a PhD who um, many years ago I think this is probably at least it's a minimum about 40 years ago I think uh, he went and did an analysis of uh, prison populations and determining uh, the psychopathy is psychopathy he was he was looking at what makes these people tick and he came up with a list of 20 characteristics and how they, whether they're never, uh, sometimes, or always like this. Um, 
basically basically a propensity chart, uh, Likert scale, um, and propensity of the the people to have these characteristics, and the higher you score. So, for example, if you're above 30, you have probably have a pretty high probability of being uh, a, a psychopath um, or antisocial personality disorder. The thing is, thing with our uh, that's another thing that's prevalent in our uh, in the DSM four, DSM five, or DSM three, even uh, going back, and I'm not going to pretend to know everything that's inside these books, but these are the diagnostic statistical manuals for a host of uh, disorders that people have. Um, you know, can be any disorder at this point, and they're huge books. They have lots of information in them, but they're they have like lists for determining whether a person fits in the category of, say, a borderline personality disorder, or, or uh, have um, you know a cluster A traits, whether they're paranoid, you know, the paranoia, schizophrenic. Uh, we've all heard about of, uh, obsessive uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. That's a cluster C. All these different uh, uh, personality disorders we call them. And personality disorders are highly prevalent in our society. I would I would ascertain that it's somewhere between ten and twenty percent. I've even had um, I would say the, a diagnostic uh, approach to me uh, in terms of from uh, when I was in the United States Navy. I had I had a situation, and this was in 1998, where I uh, I attempted suicide, um, which. And uh, let's let me draw back from that. I I got extremely drunk one night. Um, I was feeling a lot of despair. I came back to the base uh, and I swallowed about I don't know, fifty to a hundred pills. I don't know how many pills I had. I really couldn't tell you. But I had I had some medications that I'd been um, uh, for various things that had gone on, and I had some um, as you know the whole the, the very benign medication but if you take enough of any medication you're bound to cause a, a external internal reaction to to your body that could be lethal especially if you throw that on top of you know uh, alcohol you know there's multipliers and additive effects of, of uh, medications when they're mixed together I mean we, we've heard the story about Marilyn Monroe and whatnot so anyway um, yeah, so because of that fact, I, I was uh, sent to, you know, a, a ward, and I spent several days on, on that ward. So people will people may question my ability to make any, um, uh, what would you say, resulting diagnostic of anybody in, in today's field. They think, oh, because you've gone through this experience, you, you're, you're a broken person. It's like, no, I think that probably gives me a little bit more insight into these situations because not only have I been, um, you know, I've been in a pit of despair. This was 23 years ago, so it's almost a quarter century. It's over. It's almost a half lifetime ago in my in my view in my rearview mirror. Uh, I haven't had any episodes like that in you know two decades. Uh, the two decades, I, a matter of fact, during the the time frame when I uh, was involved with this. Uh, a person and I got incarcerated. I I was feeling a depressive episode because after I left the service, I went cold turkey on alcohol. I didn't drink for like eighteen months, and after I didn't drink for that long, and I had some clarity. I started having some job success, and maybe I didn't think I deserved it at the time because I was, 
uh, you know, when I uh, it came in, uh, when I you know, met this woman who was the other side of the scenario here, um, I started to think that I could have a normal life like everybody else. And uh, she was, you know, a few years older than me. Uh, she was in her 30s and I was in my early 30s and I was in my late 20s and I thought, you know, maybe this would work out. But uh, as I come to find out, uh, um, I didn't, I was still living in the Hollywood uh, viewpoint then. I started, I believed, uh, believed in the, oh, I thought love was something that, you know, could be, um, I thought that there was, uh, you know, persistence mattered or uh, you could, um, if you truly, you know, I, I believed all the blue pill stuff that you would believe back then. I was just, I was a, I was a sucker. Uh, you know, I, I, I was wrong about all kinds of things, but I, I've learned from that experience. It's uh, shaped my and influenced my uh, viewpoints as they go forward now. So I've gone off on a tangent here before. <laughs> the reason why is because uh, I think uh, it's important to realize that um, sometimes the person who's talking to you is talking to you from uh, personal experience. And I've applied my personal experience and I've applied the learning that I've gar- garnered thereafter. So... Dr. Hare, anyway, getting back to him, he enlisted 20 items, and I think most people will recognize these pretty easily. So glib and superficial charm, and, you know, the smooth-talking, verbally agile uh, psychopath is rarely stuck for something to say. They are not in the least bit shy. In fact, they are not afraid to, to say anything. So yeah, there's a... And, and, and realize here, just because a person ex, um, exhibits one or, one or more of these traits doesn't make them. It's, it's the combination. It's the totality of the, the, the ability to express these. So that's the reason why it's maybe uh, the reason why anything can be used badly is because the people that are, are looking at it maybe don't have the don't have the discernment level that they need to just because a person's one time it isn't a one-time thing this is like i said if you're perpetually running into this person and they're perpetually like this then you have a need to so that's just one trait grandiose self-worth they have an opinion on everything they boast and brag about things they have done their skills and abilities they have enormous egos plenty of confidence and arrogance and consider themselves superior See, one psychopath said that he preferred to hear himself talk because w- what he said was more interesting than what other people had to say. <laughs> I laugh because you know that's uh, that you know there's a uh, you know there's the the self the the self absorption that's come through comes through with sometimes what uh, these people interject into their into their their personality. These people are broken people, or they are unusually. They're unusually confident about things that you would you would find um, just despicable. Uh, they seek stimulation or are prone to boredom. They like to they like to be doing new and different things, always looking for excitement and entertainment. See, um, going back to Gates, when you think about all the things he's got his hands into, it's like he's look. I mean, he wants to rule the world. Don't get anybody. Don't get him messed up with any any uh, uh, quote unquote uh, caring. He is truly seeking to rule the world, or certainly looking to be one of the handful of people who ruled the world through his his uh, his reach into everything and everything you do in your life. Um, he's not the only one. 
I think it's very clear. And I have less I have less understanding of Xi Jinping, but I understand he's a totalitarian dictator. And since he's been in since he's been in charge of China, uh, he's been doing nothing nothing that proves to me that he's anything other than somebody who's seeking ultimate power. There's a reason why they built up an enormous navy to go along with their enormous army. If anyone so much as crosses him, don't you think those divorces will be deployed? I think you will find out that those things will happen when he feels like he's at a point where nobody can challenge him. So pathological lying. Well, I think we can. We don't need to go into what lying is, but uh, pathological is just they're there's they're li- they'll lie about everything. They don't care what they lie about. There's no there's no lying to them as like the sun getting up in the sky in the, in the morning. They do it all the time and they do it every day. It's a perpetual cycle. <clears throat> uh, they can do it in, in any number of ways. Conning and manipulative, uh, manipulativeness. Let me spit that out. <laughs> very, very hard word. They deceive, they cheat, they con, they bilk, they trick and defraud others for personal great gain. Uh, so... Separated from number four, to the extent the subject shows callous ruthlessness, that is, a lack of concern or pity for suffering and feeling for other victims. So another thing, like uh, Gates is very conning and manipulative, and he, he, I mean, he managed to con people into people thinking he's an expert on technology. I mean, he's never achieved, he's never actually, you know, completed even in the scholastic portions of anything. He, he has, uh, he was uh, well set up because he came from an upper middle class family, whereas I think his mother sat on the board of IBM or something, and he was able to get in the get his entry way into uh, technology and computing systems, and he he brought along the right uh, I think it was Steve Ballmer uh, brought along the right uh, co uh, co co founder in much the same way that uh, Steve Jobs had uh, Steve Wozniak, so. Wozniak was the brains of the operation, and and uh, you know, Jobs became the face. Uh, Bill Gates became the face of Microsoft, even though Ballmer was at least ostensibly initially was probably the more um, useful in- intellectual power in terms of uh, motivation to to put together an operating system. Which the operating system they initially put together was borrowed from a guy who built it in the mid 1970s. Now, of course, they bolted onto it, but it's it's uh, it's it's that kind of innovation off of somebody else's innovation, and then being able to hire enough people that are in the in the business, it, it it turns into less that you did anything other than you were able to capture the right minds to put together. Like any entity or structure, you just need uh, it's a matter of just having an idea and then and then watching it slowly build out and being uh, you know ruthlessly persistent. In trying to get people to go along with your your uh, your game plan, so so a lack of remorse or guilt. I don't think any. I don't. I don't see very much remorse or guilt out of any uh, many people that are involved in uh, at this level. Like you won't see any remorse. You're gonna. We're gonna play a video here uh, later, and um, it's analysis by another person. So we'll we'll get to it. Shallow affect. Emotional poverty or very shallow feelings, coldness towards others despite seeming very friendly. So, like, if you think about Gates, he, I mean, some people would maybe uh, attribute shallow affect almost to um, 
like an autistic uh, Aspergery type of uh, response to things. I don't want to mix those two together, but I just did. <laughs> what I'm saying is they have an, uh, a lack of propensity. Um, you know, like I said, the, the the coldness. You can almost feel it from these people. You can literally, you can feel that they 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 look at you as prey. They look at you. They they literally, even when they're smiling at you, it's they're they're smiling at you as if you're dinner. They're not smiling at you because they care about you. You can almost, you can seriously almost feel it from the certain aspects of these people. That's how they're like the you know the the dead eyed shark, callousness or lack of empathy. I think it's pretty uh, a general lack of feelings towards other people. They tend to be heartless, contemptuous, indifferent, and tactless. Yeah, that that definitely the tactless part sounds like uh, Gates when he's talking about shooting. Uh, there was a video I uh, also captured, uh, you know, about him talking about giving uh, shots to kids, and in the and he even demonstrates it. He makes it seem like I mean he enjoys this. I think one of the things that set Gates off on this path of wanting to take over the world even more than he was doing was after he was um, caught in an antitrust in 1998. 1998 was with Microsoft and, and had to do with you know, browsers and whatnot. I'm not going to pretend to know all about that case because I didn't pay a lot of attention when it happened to begin with. But he got a pie slammed into his face because somebody uh, you know, didn't like, like him or what he was doing and, and the government didn't punish him enough. I think Gates has sought revenge off of that because... Um, Shortly thereafter, he, he started his Gates Foundation, and, and, and then the media started running this new thing called you know, Gates 2.0 or uh, Gates uh, Improved or Gates Revisited, and they rebuilt his reputation. These, these people just suck up to him like no tomorrow just because he's powerful and he has lots of money, and that money gets translated into their, their organizations. I mean, that's the reason why he's bought up the media in, in many ways, you know. It's nothing for him to give a you know a media a hack a million dollars and most people have no principle whatsoever and they'll take his money and they'll say exactly what he expects them to say and they have no they have no uh, they're just they don't know they they know they're being used and yet they have no principle whatsoever that's where we're at in this society because people people have lost faith in everything they have no they don't they don't even believe that there's any consequences for what they do in life they believe that. By misinforming other people, that's what the media does now. They believe that by, by misinforming them or not even being able to give any qualified um, analysis on this, that they are doing the people of the world a, fa- a favor, and instead they're, they're they're destroying society. They're helping. They're hel- they're assisting somebody like a Gates in in destroying our, our our society, and and they don't seem to really understand that. They 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 seemingly think that destroying the United States of America, which I think is, I bet you that's up on his list of, if I can destroy the United States of America, I've really done something. That's the way Gates thinks. He 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 he, he has his hands in every particular crevice and corner of our country in such a malevolent manner because he has all these dupable people. I say they're dupable, but I, I, as we'll find out um, when I play another video, um, we're going to get there. It's just going to take a while. We're going to find out how, how much, you know, like a guy like Gates would be would be classic in, in trying to get these people to just do whatever he tells them to do. 
a parasitic lifestyle. So yeah, <laughs> uh, Gates is probably uh, uh, he he parasited off other people's ideas. So I mean, his whole his whole foundation of his companies, his foundation, and he parasites off other people's ideas, and their he exploits their their knowledge. Because it's not that he's not smart. No, he's he's keenly aware of how smart he is. I mean, this is a guy who got 1590 on the SAT and went back and took it so he could get a 1600. I mean, I mean, some people said, well, you know, he wanted to challenge himself. You know, wouldn't you go back and want to get a perfect score just so you could do it? It's like, I don't know. I really don't think I would want to go through that experience. But I guess if if you want to measure yourself by how high a score you can get on something and and go back and do it again. I mean, I guess it's that's up to you. Poor behavioral controls. They may be sudden expressions of annoyance, irritability, aggression, and verbal abuse. They may be sudden outbursts of anger and temp, and temper, and they may act hastily. Now, we've all done this in our life. We've all had sudden outbursts, mainly because we maybe bottle up stuff uh, over a course of time. But it, it what it what it boils down to. So if you're a, per, a powerful person, and like Gates, he never gets challenged on anything, very rarely. Or if he is, he stutters, he gets uncomfortable, he shifts around, he avoids the question. He's a politician. I mean, some people say I'll be pol- being a politician, but it's the inability to directly handle confrontation, like. Uh, and, and and by directly handle confrontation, like somebody offers, you know, asked a, a deep or insightful question of you, what you're trying to get across to them. And then you hem-haw around it and don't have a clear answer or don't pro- provide a honest assessment. I think one of the biggest disservices that uh, our current uh, media class did, especially during the Trump administration, is while they were sitting there asking questions all they were really doing was uh, trying to smear him. If they would have actually asked a question directly about policy or something that would have been insightful so the people could understand, when I heard Trump answer questions, he would give you uh, pretty clear answers if you asked him a queer, clear question. But usually they let it off with, don't you think you're being so mean? You know, They, they made it emotional. They always did that. Why? Because they didn't really want to... Per, 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 uh, what would you say, um, present Trump as a real character, a real person. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm not, I think some things that Trump did were horribly, uh, you know, disabling to his presidency, you know, you know, even the vaccine push, which was, oh, by the way, vaccine, the vaccine push was uh, something that uh, he was damned if he did or damned if he di- didn't. Because if he had if he had said nope, we're just going to work on therapeutics. I'm not going to fund any vaccines. Congress would have brought him up, or you know, they would have been charges brought against him, or they'd have been somebody who would have, you know, brought a lawsuit and said, "How dare you not support these vaccines?" and et cetera, et cetera. Because it, it, it didn't matter which position, what, whatever position he took, it would have been the opposite position that everybody would have uh, uh, would have, would harp and rail on. So. Um, I don't know if I can really fault him because people seem to. This is this has become the problem with our society is people have presented the president as he's supposed to solve all your problems. He isn't going to solve all your problems. He doesn't even have control over the people he has on his own staff. For for fuck's sake, uh, pardon my French, but uh, that's the truth. He doesn't have control over all those people, 
And, and the thing is, is you, you really don't even want him to. But to tell you that he doesn't have control over his old people should tell you something about how he even, you know, he doesn't, he isn't that, uh, quote, a controlling and manipulative. Now, can you imagine Bill Gates, who, uh, who uh, has all these minions that work under him? If any of those people so much as crosses him, he'll make sure they don't, they'll never work again. Uh, I bet you he has much more, much more of an authoritarian control over every little detail of whatever anybody does in his organization in comparison to somebody like the president who is being resisted from everybody around Washington, D.C. Not because of him. They just don't want him to get to get to the bigger crimes that they have been committing for the last 40 years against the American people. But that's a side tangent. So here, here, here's one that would definitely fit Trump. Promiscuous sexual behavior. <laughs> so yeah, he's had quite a few marriages and I can't, I can't, um, um, I can't defend the guy on that, but Hey, uh, that's, you know, like I said, each one of these in and of themselves are, are not the, the end all be all when you apply them to somebody. And Oh, by the way, you could, you could fit the characteristic, you can fit the characteristics of certain things and yet, if you're not exactly seeking to exhort uh, a supreme a level of power over people, I don't see you as a malevolent. There, and there's been some question out there uh, a malevolence that uh, I don't. There are people that can ha- harbor these all these characteristics and yet not be uh, um, a menace to society. Argumentatively, I would say. That it can, in theory, happen, but for the most part, I think most of the people that fit these categories, I'll say 95% or more who fit all these categories or have a high propensity towards these categories are malicious and evil because that's just the nature of these categories. Uh, that being said, so promiscuous sexual behavior. They may have brief encounters, many affairs while married, and be indiscriminate in selective partners. So... Uh, hetero and homosexual relationships, and even maintain several relationships at the same time. There is often a history of attempting to coerce many people into sexual relationships, and they may have taken great pride in discussing their sexual conquests. Here's the thing, though: I don't, I don't, I don't think uh, uh, Trump has made a great, uh, great deal of uh, out of great pride over this. But yeah, he made that comment, and of course, that's the reason why uh, you know the comment about. Uh, you know, you can grab them by their thing. They'll let you, um, which is, you know, if you've heard the way men talk sometimes, especially when they're around other men, yeah, that does happen. You know, we, we there's, there's a lot of braggadocious uh, talking. Um, so, like I said, I can't defend him on that. Uh, him uh, And I didn't want to make that about him. And somebody will say, well, uh, this doesn't fit Gates. Well, that we know of. Um, you know, because he, he presents, he has some, uh, high, um, put this way, because Gates is so unlike, unlikable, he never really involved himself with having lots of, uh, I guess you could say promiscuous sets that we know of. Early behavioral problems, early behavior problems. Uh, there is often a history of antisocial behavior before the age of 13, lying, stealing, cheating, vandalism, bullying, truancy, sexual activity, fire setting, substance abuse, running away from home. Uh, so, I mean, depending upon how you, I would say it's, uh, uh, 
how those are applied. Lack of realistic long-term goals. So uh, while they talk of big plans, they show an inability to complete stuff. So um, some will say, well, Gates, you know, he's completed long-term goals. But has he? Really? I mean, he has these great visions, but if you look at the the actual application of these things, there's always a failure. Like, I mean, Microsoft was supposed to be presented as a certain way, and it's always had problems with viruses and and inability, uh, you know, from one um, operating system to the next, it 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 fails. It's almost um, almost intentional. If you look back at it, uh, it seems like they tried to undo what they did right the, from the pr- uh, previous systems. So XP was better than ninety eight, and uh, ninety five was better than ninety eight, and uh, then you had um, you know a bunch of other systems uh, seven, Windows seven, Vista, and everything else. It seems like they always backtracked. It's almost like it was done on purpose or intentionally uh, motivated to do that, be that way. One can never know because, you know, obviously I don't work at Microsoft and I don't know everything that went on there. But uh, if you start looking, if you look, start looking backward, maybe there was some intent with that because the idea was to make sure you had a, a new, uh, uh, had a, a market that you could always exploit for more money like they've done with the, their subscription service now instead of just selling you the software. So after after uh, since 365 has been put on the market, you can't buy, I think you can't buy a standalone uh, license that you can just use perpetually. You have to, you have to sign, in order for it to be connected to the internet and do other things, which that's introduced an, an inherent evil into our life, the internet, because... It's being exploited by these tech companies to control people. Impulsivity. Um, I think most of us can can understand what impulsivity is. Uh, they just they just randomly do stuff. Uh, they can't resist a temptation to go do something. Uh, irresponsibility. I mean, uh, we know people that are highly irresponsible about everything they do every day. Uh, like I said, you have to take the whole this whole uh, list and put it in perspective and add them all up and then see how that goes. Failure to accept responsibility for our own actions. How many of us in our modern society would say that that there's a highly there's a high propensity for people to refuse to t- take any uh, responsibility for their own actions? I mean. It's hard to admit to my even my for my own self. I, it's hard sometimes to to come to the conclusion that yeah, I I am I am the fault for <laughs> for the the whole host of uh, things that have gone wrong in my life and that I made horrible decision making or had a poor decision poor decision making uh, paradigm in place when I made those decisions, and that yeah, uh, not only am I flawed and failed that I. Uh, did it repetitively, and and I still make mistakes today. Uh, you know, only a few years ago, I I got uh, got involved in a heated conversation at, at work uh, regarding uh, a plan that got uh, twisted sideways by somebody who overreached with their what they think that could be achieved. And because of that, no matter how much I I resisted that and tried to make it, you know, make it known that uh, I thought we were going down the wrong path. Then several days later, we were in, in the midst of the change, and things got screwed up, and were screwed up. Um, we didn't have the right data. We didn't have, we had 
done a lot of work and then we were going to have to go and redo it all over again. And the person had the gall to, to turn around and say, well, you're supposed to be the expert. And they said that to me. And I'm thinking, I was the one who was telling you that we shouldn't go this route and we shouldn't do this. And then now here you are trying to make put me on the spot for, uh, for and, and I didn't have operational control. I wasn't, this wasn't my, I was given the, the task or the technical framework of, of trying to uh, make a change in a facility. And I was gathering information and trying to uh, consolidate that information together. And I had one particular party that was resistant to give me information because they didn't, they, A, they didn't believe in the task that we were doing. So I told uh, the group that we had put together that it wasn't achievable because we were trying to do this in two different areas instead of one. It was an inventory project, by the way. I, uh, we were doing a Kanban system and, and cards and whatnot. And I told them, I said, well, maybe we should just stick to this one area that we have good information on and, and the worst things that can happen, we can always fix pretty quickly. And the other area was going, it was substantially more difficult because it was going to require a substantial amount of moving of items around and uh, resorting things out correctly. And, and we didn't have, we didn't have the visibility on the data. We had something, we had, had old data, but it turned out that that data was all wrong and it was presented wrong. And like I said, I had a outside consultant that was higher up, so to speak, uh, they reported to the CEO, whereas I was just reporting to the operations manager. And that person thought that it was a good idea to tell me, and it wasn't the first time I'd had problems with him. Uh, he thought it was a good idea to throw me under the bus. And so I, at the time, I didn't want, I didn't want to hear this guy's, uh, um, uh, I guess, say criticism. But when it came down to it, it was my fault for responding the way I did. Um, as a result, I left that position because I felt that there was nothing else. I said, if this is the way this organization is going to operate, I don't want to be a part of it. Now, some people will say that's principled. Other people will say it was foolish. At the time, it was foolish because, you know, it was the best position monetarily that I had ever had in my life. And this is after a number of years of trying to claw my way up uh, the ladder. Um, I present that because what is important to get out of this is the failure to accept responsibility for your own actions. If you take an action, there's going to be consequences or there's going to be a response. You know, where they say for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. In our society, though, uh, um, not only don't people take any responsibility for their actions, uh, they, they, they quickly shift the blame to somebody else. Uh, so going on here, uh, number 17, and I haven't been ticking these off many short-term marital relationships. I don't think I really need to go into any uh, discussion there. Juvenile delinquency. It's kind of goes along with, uh, early behavior problems, but it results to, uh, I guess you could say behavioral difficulties between the ages 13 and 18 typical behaviors that are crimes are clearly manipulative aggressive and callous so let's just say you know we'll say these are no longer just like uh uh running away from home or or tagging things or or doing things that you know it, it it's usually it means violence is involved so that's what juvenile delinquency there is 
revocation of conditional release. So this goes into criminal criminal aspects here. Uh, your probation is revoked for technical reasons, uh, carelessness, and so on. Uh, you know, criminal versatility. Unlike criminals who may specialize in one area, they are often involved in a diverse of activities, taking great pride at getting away with crimes. So yeah, th this this probably uh, lends itself well to somebody like a, a Gates, who is a he's a master criminal. He uses uh, legal he uses legal uh, protections to get away with the things that he does. He uses holes in the law. Matter of fact, his I guess his father taught him. And they were, uh, when they were uh, looking at things uh, in in terms of how to accomplish things, he always seemed to he he, he seemed to be a master of of, of finding ways in uh, loopholes, and also it helps that the people that uh, he was dealing with for the most part uh, either didn't have an understanding of the law or didn't or didn't understand. Uh, the precedent that they were setting by allowing somebody like Gates to do the things that he did. Um, usually, and they may even have been a sweetener in there. So, for example, if you buy off the right official, you know, say, okay, I'll make it worth your while if you just turn your head. This is this is criminal versatility because you, you build an organization that's based upon um, supposedly helping people, and yet you have this master uh, organization with uh, $50 billion. I mean, it, it becomes a, a racket that, you know, has, you know, people that are, that are dupable and suckerable. So we're going to go on from here. Uh, first we're going to go to, um, her name's Amazing Polly, but she did an audio, she did a broadcast or a short thing where she's discussing M. Scott Peck's book, The People of the Lie. So I'm going to just play a few minutes of this and, and we'll go from there of these people to acknowledge their sin. He uses the word sin. I know that probably triggers some people right there because you're thinking, oh, that's religious and I don't believe in sin. And sin is a lie. Sin just keeps us from doing the things that we want. It makes us feel guilty for no reason. But that's not true. We have conscience and guilt for a reason. Whether or not there's religion, there's conscience. So Scott Peck just uses the word sin as an easy way to describe the transgressions these people have done. All right, I've already talked for 10 minutes and I haven't yet played any part of this audiobook, so I will do so now. If evil people cannot be defined by the illegality of their deed or the magnitude of their sins, then how are we to define them? The answer is by the consistency of their sins. While usually subtle, their destructiveness is remarkably consistent. This is because those who have crossed over the line are characterized by the absolute refusal to tolerate the sense of their own sinfulness. More than anything else, it is the sense of our own sinfulness that prevents any of us from undergoing a similar deterioration. A predominant characteristic of the behavior of those I call evil is scapegoating. Because in their hearts they consider themselves above reproach, they must lash out at anyone who does reproach them. They sacrifice others to preserve their self-image of perfection. Note at the beginning uh, of that clip that he said that it's not the 
it's not the criminality of the act that or that that makes someone evil. It's the consistency of it. And it's the absolute refusal of these people to face the fact that they did something wrong. Speaking from personal experience. So I was going to go on with that, but I'll, I, I don't think we need to go into her situation, but I think what you can gather from that is, you know, this idea that there's an absolutism, um, the people that are involved in our situation at present seem to have, um, they have a one tracked objective, a goal that they put together. And I, like I've said, I think this has been in plan for many, many years. Um, we, we almost verify, we can verify that with Klaus Schwab's, the, the fourth industrial revolution and they're, 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 um, putting together the ideas we know Gates has been very, very hot, hot, hard at work on getting us all vaccinated. All everybody, the entire world, all seven billion plus of us. He doesn't care what the consequences of this are. He really doesn't. And of course, not only the vaccination, but the passports. So there's that's where we'll go next. Uh, this comes from uh, Sticks Hexenhammer. All right, everybody, papers, please. The Stasi in New York reminding you now that in order to gain access to venues that should be open anyway, uh, Cuomo's a failure, by the way, uh, you're going to need to download an app there to your phone which stores your own private medical data. So in in other words, this is literally what New York is planning. This is a COVID passport sort of thing for like sports venues and and wedding receptions and shit uh, that go above the normal level, the normal gathering limit. Which is ludicrous because, you know, the First Amendment enshrines your right to assemble. Apparently, we've gotten to the point where that is requisite upon now, at least in New York, getting rid of your Fourth Amendment right to privacy. The idea that a government can, can, should be able to force you to store private medical data on a device that could be hacked or stolen, uh, especially developed in partnership with the New York government, what could fucking possibly go wrong with that, uh, is ludicrous. They should be sued. People should refuse to use the app and make it clear to Cuomo that they want the state reopened. There's no reason to keep it closed at this point. The death rate is low. The number of new cases is unimpacted by things like this. It doesn't do anything. It's not even being recommended by, like, the WHO or anything. What's the fucking point? First and foremost, though. So there you go. There's um, there's been This push has been going on around the world. And one of the things, and I just kind of, kind of puzzled this out a little bit was that fact that uh if you think about it since march 2020 uh china has been you know they're back to their same totalitarian control which is what i mentioned uh but their but their economy is is not being hampered by uh a covid uh uh push i mean they're already under control so instead the entire western world though has been uh dancing with lockdowns and uh, passports and mask and all this other kind of stuff, which is all coming directly. This, this was all kind of uh, um, um, schemed up by uh, the powers that be from like Xi and Gates and Schwab about how we should do this. And and then there's been the total hypocrisy of others. So I'm going to see if I can get to a part where uh, he was talking about, uh, uh, I think it's Fauci, 
in particular. It was demonetized at this point, so keep that in mind. Also, two of my videos every day are only not on YouTube. You're only getting a half quank if you're watching me on YouTube at this point. Now, this is basically <laughs> the papers please moment when you think about it. It's like the Gestapo or the Stasi. Cuomo and the New York State government are effectively arguing that in order to take part in society, you should have to essentially eliminate your Fourth Amendment rights with regards to personal medical information. I'm not sure how this could possibly be construed as legal. I'm not sure how it's possibly going to be helpful. Gathering limits in New York have not stopped the, the rate of cases from pacing states with, with no restrictions whatsoever. Like in Florida, there is effectively no restriction on anything that you do. To the point where, last month, Joe Biden was musing about whether he should close the border to Florida. Of course, that border, uh, one, one that he wants to close much more, uh, because DeSantis is a major rival of the Democrats at this point, than, than the U.S.-Mexico border, for demographic and economic purposes, I'm sure. Uh, you can look at states like the Dakotas, you can look at Texas, which had you know, kind of a little bit of restrictions for a while, but then they're, they're gone now. If you look at the total number of cases, and you look at the total number of deaths, per capita, which is the only meaningful number, you can adjust it a little bit for population density, okay, New York's more densely populated than South Dakota understood. If you look at the per capita death and, and, and case rate totals, though, they don't seem to be really affected by any of the things that people are, are doing to stop the spread of the disease. The sole and only thing that works is vaccination, but the thing is, why should a person have to prove that they have been in order to go out to a larger gathering? I note that Cuomo, Chris Cuomo and Andy Cuomo, and others have, repe have repeatedly violated their own guidelines. For instance, let's look at a short list. Chris Cuomo, brother of Andy Cuomo, hides in a bunker and says, grandstanding back in like last year, like what was it, like June or something, can't even remember. Well, I've got the coof, so I'm going to sit in my basement and self-isolate so I don't get anyone sick. And then, like, a couple days before he was actually supposed to go out, he was out fucking jogging and got into an altercation with a person on a bicycle. Uh, Andy Cuomo has done this. You've had uh, uh, repeatedly, I think on more than one occasion, you've had, uh, what's his name over there, uh, the, the uh, mayor of Portland, if I can remember correctly. He was, you know, uh, attending events. Newsom has done this. Um, and and violating their own guidelines. You know, you've got Fauci, that famous picture of him at the sports stadium. He's basically, he takes his mask off to take a selfie, I guess. That was against his own advice, the CDC's own guidelines at the time when that happened. This has been a repeated trend. At some point, the violation of people's First and Fourth Amendment rights becomes legally untenable, unacceptable, and people need to begin boycotting. It's the only thing that'll be meaningful. Now, Cuomo, of course, he doesn't worry about New York's economy. If he did, he would resign. Uh, that being said, if you can put more pressure on New York, and that, this means other people too. A lot of people travel like to New York City. Change your plans and go to a different city. Go to Texas. Go to Florida or something like that. New York City, I guess, can wait until they have competent leadership. That means the, the idiot mayor of New York is gone, and that means the idiot governor there is gone. The dude... So... We'll go any further on that one, but uh, yeah, he's saying exactly what all of us have felt who have a logical brain that uh, you know we're we're letting these people. They're just they're this is part of the crazy making, and and uh, I'm going to relate this back to a, a personal experience that I went through. So, and when I mentioned my father's abuse um, of my mother uh, from 
it was July of 1982 to roughly June of the next year was 11 months or 11 or 12 months of total chaos in my life and my mom's life. And uh, we left at that time we were living in Tennessee and we moved to Northwest Indiana. I didn't initially move with my mother. My mother moved and I showed up about six weeks later. Um, that was due to the amount of psychological um, abuse that I was going undergoing at the time. Uh, the way the entire divorce took place, what my dad did during that divorce, which was violence. Um, he not only did violence, he threats. He threatened to kill me at one point. Uh, these things kind of happened. But to the greater the greater scheme is uh, the, the sociopath or the psychopath and psychopath is basically, I guess you could call it, uh, born, not made. We'll, we'll just differentiate those two. So sociopathic behaviors uh, or sociopaths are ostensibly, from from my viewpoint, are people who over uh, through 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 their environment and through the way they their interactions developed from the time they were, uh, I guess you could say, aware became a became a, they were so surrounded by negativity by this innate uh, uh, they see people that are totally immoral that lack any compass no ethics no morality they see this and interact with this on a daily basis that this is just the way they 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 learn to become so they had through almost no fault of their own you know if you're put into a if you're put into a hellscape of a, of a negativity you're bound to uh, lose your humanity in that particular concept. Though some people could be rescued from that, and there have been people that have uh, resisted that, even though you would, really those the people that probably resisted that found at least one little bit of foundation in their life. They found a library or they found one, one good person, and they, they anchored to that person or anchored to that, that philosophy or anchored to books something something anchored them well enough to keep them from developing into that type of person so it's a rarity i think for the most part that can that's the only way that that can occur uh and then the psychopath is just someone who has a genetic uh i'll call it genetic flaw uh, for lack of better terms they they were they're born with a mentality that when it's fueled uh, let's just say they're fueled theirs is fueled by environment too but maybe not to the level degree needed that the soup was just good enough for them that given their own genetic propensity uh when you when you coalesce that together you are going to get a psychopath you are going to get somebody who who's going to just walk in and, and, and on top of that uh, uh like i like i mentioned they're at the far right hand side of uh the intellectual curve uh, they're highly motivated. Um, uh, they don't have to have like it's. It's almost I hate to use D and D or something. They're not all. They don't always have to be at the ninety ninth percentile. But just to say, you're very highly intelligent. They're very highly uh, motivated to get what they want, their aims, and on top of that, their their immorality, their lack of uh, a conscience towards there's any consequences for what they do. In other words, they just they don't believe in God. There is no God to them. There's a lack of there's a lack of foundation to think that humanity is anything other than something to be exploited. It's a prey. In other words, they just look at it as it's Darwinism at its most 
cruel. In other words, they they look at it as their that the only way they can achieve what they want to achieve in life is just being uh, just purely uh, uh, monstrous. So, for example, if you notice Cuomo, his his responses to being challenged sometimes are are epic, uh, and some people enjoyed that the same way they enjoy Trump's. Uh, some another group would enjoy Trump's uh, comebacks against the journalist. Uh, but Cuomo, if he was just a- asked honest questions at times, he would get very upset. Whereas I noticed that if Trump was not asked, you know, fairly honest, benign questions, he would give an honest response or give, put it this way, he would give at least a response that wasn't uh, confrontational. But if someone confronted him, then Trump usually gives as good as he gets. So it's a matter of how you, uh, like anything, you can shape someone's uh, responses by how you, um, let's just say, um, present the information to them. Um, so now we're going to go to now these these uh, this crime happened uh, a couple of days ago, and I'm gonna just let uh, let uh, Tommy uh, Sotomayor, who you know I, he's funny, but he's not uh, <laughs> he's not for he's not for everybody. But uh, I'm willing to uh, let him go ahead. and I'll let him talk here for a minute and let you guys determine where where you feel about it. So. Two teen girls turned a car on its side, survived without a scratch. They survived that accident without a scratch. They survived this accident without a scratch. But they killed the man who they were trying to rob a car from. Now, last night, we did a video of a black woman who she herself survived a fatal accident without a scratch. She killed a 52-year-old grandmother and nurse, and she escaped the accident without a scratch. So much so that two days later, when she finally bonds out, She went right back to being a dummy by getting on YouTube or Facebook talking shit about the dead woman. She got blocked. She went live on another channel and talked shit about a dead white woman. Called her an old white bitch. old white bitch let's hear a little bit about this story here because well the story here is like many others it's the same as it ever was same as it ever was two black girls ages two black girls ages 13 and 15 tried to carjack an Uber Eats driver. This happened in D.C. Two teenage girls have been charged with a botched carjacking and killing the Uber Eats driver in D.C. Washington police officials have charged the girls 13 and 15 with felony murder and armed carjacking, according to a news release. 
The girls were reportedly armed with a taser when they attempted to steal the vehicle belonging to Mamad Anwar, who's 66 years old, of Springfield, Virginia. Thank you for hitting hitting that 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 uh, cash uh, thingy. Matter of fact, let's give the man his proper due and let you guys see who this man was. A hardworking man, unlike. Thank you, thank you. A hardworking man, unlike. A lot of the so-called, oh, Trishana threw me $100. Girl, you better stop. She won't be my girlfriend, but she will throw me $100. I got I to gotta gotta take what I can. I got to take what I can. This is the man who's dead. He was a hardworking man, unlike many of us. Taking care of his family, grandfather, from all accounts, a good man who came from a country where he was impoverished, who came to America, where uh, he came from a country where there's war, he came to America looking for a new start, he came to America Fine, something's wrong. So there's Tommy, and he, he goes on for a lot, a lot in this uh, video. And it, I mean, he's he's not, you know, he's not for everybody. Because if you listen to his streams, it, it, he he gets he gets some crazy people when he's talking to uh, when he takes callers and whatnot. But I think we can all kind of understand what he's heading towards because. Um, these girls in particular, they got out of the car and, and the one girl was still looking for her cell phone. This was after they, the guy had tried to, they, they caught this on, on video too. And, um, the guy was trying to stop him from taking his car and another person was uh, videotaping this or using his cell phone to capture this. And instead of, you know, getting in, uh, instead of the person who was monitoring or watching this with, the, with his camera, instead of going over and pulling the girl out of the car, there was two of them, pulling the other girl out of the car and stopping the, the problem. Instead, he's sitting there videotaping it and saying, stop, don't do this. But, you know, we've gotten to a point in our society where the mentality has been that we don't want to, we don't, we don't want to stop anybody from doing things that are evil, that are wrong, and that are, that are obviously detrimental to our society. Um, we have people that are that think that somebody else, the law, is going to step in, and of course, there are consequences, there are responsibilities for you know getting involved in situations, and we know our legal system is broke, and I'm wondering when and if that's going to eventually um, be the downfall. I mean, we're already pretty close. I mean, I already understood that the legal system is as a two-tier system when I came through. Um, as it turned out, the the person that I had a um, interaction with her her father was a lawyer, a local lawyer in that jurisdiction, and probably made a few phone calls or made a few requests or what have you, and got what got whatever he thought needed to get for his daughter. Now that's all well and good. 
but it just shows you that we've had a, a we've had a number we've had this going on in our legal system for way too long. They may, and and people will say, well, this has always gone on this way. You just don't realize. Oh, I I realize it now. I've realized it for years. Um, you know, going back and you can say historically and what and have you. And and this that's the very reason that we need to point this out and start getting a legal system um, that goes back to what the law is. Now we have it on the if you want to say the spectrum has changed, we have these leftist activist judges now that are uh, that are making decisions that are uh, that are based solely on who the people are and not what the crime is, and that's dangerous. And it's going to be dangerous because what that does is that gen that just continues to generate up or gen up the resentment that that eventually is going to to pop off, and that's of course what the elites want. They want us to de- destroy our own society. They want us to destroy our own constitution so that they can implement more dracon- draconian leadership, because the people at the very top will say, "Well, if you just abide by what I think needs to be done." Control of speech, control of movement, control of interactions, control of where you work, control of what, you know, obviously, like I said, control of your health, control of everything. The people that have been pushing this, especially on in, in the United States on the Democrat side, um, it seems like there's no consequence for what they say. Uh, I've noticed that uh, one of the aspects of this scenario has been that uh, we've allowed a uh, certain parties in particular uh so if you look at the democrats for example uh like the pelosi's the ilhan omar's the tammy duckworth's the Maisie hirono's the aoc's um ayanna presley they seem to be able to say the most inane unconstitutional immoral um things that come out of their mouth that one could they 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 they're in they're for discrimination, they're for they're for uh, reparations like Maxine Waters. They're for violence, you know, you know in the you better get in the street and get in their face. They're for chaos. They are for destruction. They are for they are for every form of uh, sociopathic and psychopathic uh, thing, and it's being driven and interjected into our society for the most part, by women. And it gives you, a, I mean, at least in that particular box, that framework. But I'm not saying they're the only ones. I mean, you think of the Adam Schiff's of the world. Uh, they've interjected lies and deceit and cover-ups. Nobody's held Adam Schiff to consequence for uh, spinning up the Russian collusion narrative over and over and over again. And then, of course... Because they spun up all those big lies, they had to come up with a bigger cover-up. See, here's the thing with our DC apparatus. They keep on creating bigger and bigger and bigger lies and bigger and bigger and more control methods because they are scared to death if the American people knew all the things they were into. That's what's, that's, that's almost where the psychopathy is coming from or the evil as uh, Polly with, uh, if they're not, psychopathic they're just evil these are people that have to scapegoat everybody else for the things that they have to create a bigger cover-up in order to achieve their goals they have to they have to push this um 
push us towards uh, to the truth that hurts them. And it, uh, uh, this is just a personal observation. I've done absolutely no study into this, but I have, I have noticed that there's a weird social impetus now towards it being rude if you say a truth to somebody. Like, it's just totally rude and unacceptable. If you point out that, I don't know, like say your, your nurse is filthy, her fingernails are filthy or something, which is obviously a terrible thing. And you wouldn't just normally pick on someone for having dirty fingernails, but she happens to be a nurse or a waitress, let's say. And it's, it's now your fault for noticing this and saying it. Like, you are the bad person. You are intolerant. You are a Karen because you notice something that is a, a flaw. Like a big, dangerous flaw. Am I even making any sense? I don't know. So, I mean, the example stands. So, D.C., our... I call it the District of Cor Corruption, has flaws, and they know that we know the flaws. We've seen it. Um, last summer, the, the, the FBI was caught, you know, multiple times. They're caught in making up these lies, and that's just what we catch. That isn't catching the things that we really know is going on. The fact that, like, Bill Barr was probably part and parcel to the entire... Uh, stealing of the election by the democrats whether you if you don't believe in that theory um I, it's hard not to say because he didn't have anybody investigate he's the head of the doj for the second time and his refusal to do anything about it uh goes to a level of a malevolence that i think is inherent with most of our dc apparatus apparatus this has been going on for years, many years. Now it's become more and more, more and more relevant and more and more clear. Um, if you take everything from 9-11 forward, for example, the last 20 years, so from 2001 to 2021, we've added $22 trillion in debt to the national debt, $22 trillion. It's even hard to comprehend how how much money that is. So one million one million dollars is one trillion dollars. One million one million dollars. So if you if 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 you just went out and bought, you can buy four million of say you have a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar home. You can buy four million of those. $250,000 home. You can buy 4 million homes with that. So if you do that 20 times, you can buy 80 million homes. That's how much debt we've we've racked up in just the past 20 years. Before that, we owed, we owed about 6 or $7 trillion. But that was about, the, about 80 or 70% of our GDP. Now we're at a point where the amount of debt is greater than our GDP. 
and that's going to acerbate because right now we have a money supply where we have way too much money supply. In just the matter of this span of this COVID-19 crisis, they've attacked on like $16 trillion worth of money flow out in the economy. So it's all paper. And inflation's going to rise because you have too many dollars chasing what will amount to too few goods. So the price of everything is going to increase. This seems to be um, the plan is to collapse this country. And so when you collapse a country, what happens? There's going to be an authoritarian uh, control mechanism that's going to kick off. I don't know who. I don't know what the event's going to take place. But it's going to happen. It's going to be hipping over. They're going to incorporate it with this COVID push. These objectives are intertwined. There's been, uh, believe me, they've game theoried this out. I mean, that's what event 201 was about back in October of 2019. And it wasn't just that one. These are multiple plans. This has been going back for 15, 20 years. There's there's actual white papers out here uh, regarding this. This is, uh, you know, you know, to think that these people aren't sitting in rooms and coming up with information and strategies. Uh, there was a strategy that was kicked off for the election, uh, the, the Transition Integrity Project, as it was called, um, which was a 20-page white paper about game scenarios. There was four different scenarios worked out based upon the results of the election and how they were going to respond and interact in relationship to how the election results came out. That didn't that that does that leaves aside how the election results were going to be um, uh, uh, actually achieved towards one of those scenarios. This is just how how the legal uh, they the did it was the Democrats uh, was led by uh, I think it was Leon Panetta. Uh, there was a. Uh, John Podesta, sorry, wrong name. So it wasn't Leon, it was uh, John Podesta. And uh, they also had the Lincoln Project involved. They had some people on the Republican, um, uh, former, I think his name, uh, uh, Michael Steele or whatever. I think he was a former RNC chair. So this was a, uh, this was a D.C. establishment uh, scenario worked out. And I'm getting off topic here, but the thing is, is these people are evil. They are. They they may not be psychopaths. Uh, if if you don't believe in uh, that conjecture, but they are evil because they're ideologically driven, and they are they are motivated towards towards keeping up appearances, keeping up the lie. They will lie. They will scapegoat. They will deflect. They will paint you as the bad person for not following their evil plan uh, because they I don't know I guess they they know if they're caught they know their history they know if the people if enough people a majority of people figure out how 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 much uh, they have destroyed this country how many how much money they have taken from everybody how many bad deals they've done with people. And the, the information is out there. It's hard to pull in all the strands. Believe me, I, I when I start going through this, if you start connecting the dots and seeing the grand board, the strategies and the table, even 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 if you're 
if you spent 24-7 for the rest of your life, you could never uh, put together all the pieces of this puzzle. You could puzzle enough of it out, but we're talking about, you know, you know, there's there's probably five to 10,000 people in this world that, that pretty much are pulling all these strings. I know people say, wow, you know, that's just, that's just, that's just throwing a number at it. Um, you know, at the top tier, there's about 50, the very elite of the elite. There's about 50 people. You think about, you know, there's just 200 and some odd countries and, you know, how many people matter from America, how many people matter from China, you know, and then you break that down and, and, and in Britain and in Germany and Japan and, and whatnot, you have, you you know, you have, you know, I have some key, uh, I guess you say, spokes in the wheel, so to speak. And then what companies or organizations out there that really, really matter. In other words, they're, they're, they're so, in, like, for example, Warren Buffett, who gets overlooked over and over again, but he is a key player in all this crap because he funds Bill Gates upwards of 30. He's given $30 billion to Bill Gates's foundation. So, I mean, they're, they're ideologically lying. I mean, can you even imagine $30 billion? You can't imagine $1 trillion. Can you imagine even $30 billion? Um, it doesn't seem like a lot of money. But when you think about the, the amount of uh, other motivations that go along with it, then you start to realize that, you know, um, those little bits of money make a significant di- difference if they're applied to certain people's lives. See, I mean, if someone came along and knocked on my door and said, I'm going give to you, give you a million dollars to stop talking about these, these topics and, and I'm going to allow you to, and you can go work for me to expose say Donald Trump, let's just throw that out there. Let's say that's the big get, you know, for whatever reason they think I'm, I'm worth $1 million to go do that. Would I do it? I mean, I'd, I'd be I'd be lying to you if I said I wouldn't think about it. But that's just the point. The fact that, you know, would it be in my best interest to do so? Would I betray my country for that? No, actually I wouldn't. I'd be like, why is it so important to get me off the air? It wouldn't be. Say I don't have a platform. I don't have hundreds of thousands of people that listen to me. I don't I don't get an audience like Tucker Carlson does on a nightly basis. I don't get three or five million people that they care what I say or or what I think and what I and even if I was, uh even even somebody like him, he's controlled. He doesn't have the platform he does without being he has to operate within a structured environment that tells him that he can't say certain words, he can't he can't talk about certain topics. He can't go into the details without the advertisers supporting him. Uh, they're in a business that that requires them to. Uh, they they get advertisers will pull their sponsorships and all that stuff, you know. Whereas me, I mean, you, you know, obviously I don't have a sponsor. I don't have anybody doing that. And I'm just throwing that out there. But that's the reason why you know. Uh, the most dangerous people to them are the people that are, don't have a they don't have anything to lose. In other words, they're not losing millions of dollars if 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 they stop saying the truth, um, and they want to silence. They, but they're 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 picking on people that push back against their narrative, which is uh, that's the reason why they're censoring people on COVID and on lockdowns and on vaccines and everything else, and they're smearing them. Because, God forbid, you have an opinion that's opposite of theirs. And, 
and that's where, like I said, that's the, the control mechanism. When it's all about control at the very heart of it, the control of everything. And that's why D.C., I mean, obviously they're trying to control the narrative against the United States, against us, uh, because uh, they know that if anyone really, it, it, they would lose all their power. The people that are in that in that particular ball game would lose all their power. Just an FYI, uh, so Gates has provided about uh, nine $9 billion to D.C. since uh, the start of uh, his uh, his adventure into uh, destroying our country. Uh, that was, I mean, that's just to Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. There were, I had done an analysis based upon each state, and it's on an Excel spreadsheet. I, I downloaded every grant that he's made. It was like 23,000. 300 and some odd grants he's made since 1994 and I'm going to pull it up because I want to get some accuracy here because it, it's 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 a it's a fun term and you'll say well that doesn't seem like a lot of money when you compare it to the amount of debt we have well no it doesn't because uh this is is this is like lobbying you know you don't you don't have to um when you have the when you have a treasury and you can just kind of do whatever the hell you want uh, you can make an enormous you can make an enormous debt with a small amount of of uh, you're just buying people you're not buying the actual resources so for example here in his all his grants since uh, since he started California is at uh, I'm gonna get it in the screen here I can look at so California turns out uh, looking at something and then uh, hurting your own uh, visual okay so california is at 3.5 billion district of columbia is at 9.3 billion georgia was 1.8 billion illinois is 1.8 billion maryland is 3 3 billion massachusetts is 3.1 billion new york is 5.9 billion north carolina is at 1 billion and Washington State is seven point three billion, which of course is where uh, Gates Foundation is located in in uh, Rainier or Seattle, depending upon how you look at it. It's 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 informative. So if I even go through D.C. for example, I, I uh, created this pivot table. So and we're gonna go we're gonna go through a few of the bigger ones on here. So this is uh, the donations that Gates has made to the District of Columbia, and we're going to start at the top. And I'm going I'm to highlight anything that's over $40 million. So Achieve.Inc. Action, okay, Achieve.Inc. is $44 million. Let's see here. Let's get to, we're just going to highlight the big ones. A lot of them are multiple. Uh, Camp A for tobacco-free kids, $48.5 million. Sounds like a good idea. I wonder what else is going on there. Center for Global Development, $85 million. Uh, Center for Strategic and International Studies, 40, $41 million. Uh, Center for U.S. Global Leadership, fifty, almost $55 million. Let's see. Uh, Council of Chief State School Officers, $127 million. So Council of Chief State School Officers is getting that, that kind of cash from Bill and Melinda Gates. Um, 
District of Columbia College Success Foundation, $104 million. DK, DKT International, $72 million. Uh, Electronic Transactions Association, wait, no, no. No, eHealth Africa, $57 million. Uh, Engender Health Incorporated, Engender as in gender, spelt like gender, um, $50 million. FHI Solutions, $217 million. FHI Solutions is tied to, I think it's a, tied to population control, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I, I'm just, that's from experience. So the Grammon Foundations, $39 million. Uh, Innovations for Poverty Action, $44 million. Uh, International Bank for Reconstruction and Development, $1.1 billion. So that's an international group, and, and we know Gates is a, a wholly owned subsidiary of international cooperation. International Development Association, $199 million. International Food Policy Research Institute, $262 million. International Initiative for Impact Evaluations, $94 million. Uh, let's go down the list here. Uh, National Governors Association, Center for Best Practices, that's that's $33 million. So National Governors. So you can see how he's intertwined his ability into a host of things. New Venture Fund, $358 million. That's an investment uh, outlet, and then they make they make uh, uh, they just some a lot of this is money he sends to an organization that's a cutout, and then that organization sends money on to other organizations. I think he just uses it. Not only does he buy people, he he uses he buys up organizations that do the same bidding for other organizations. Population Services International, three hundred seventy four million. Like I said, there's a, there's a whole host of this. The Smithsonian Institution, $59 million. And the Albert B. Sabin Vaccine Institute, $157 million. The Aspen Institute, $102 million. The Gabby Campaign is $1.1 billion. He founded that. The International Research and Exchange Board, $81 million. The One Campaign, there's almost a quarter billion dollars there. And the list goes on. Uh... The United Negro College Fund, $1.3 billion. The United Nations Foundation, $360 million. So, there you go. That was just, a, that was just, that was just hitting, not hitting the highlights there for that particular, just for the District of Columbia. It sees where his money goes through. I think it's important to know that because um, we have a... We have an inability to understand or grasp the, what you can do when you buy people for for tens of thousands or, or hundreds of thousands or maybe a million dollars a piece. And then those people make policy decisions for multi-billion dollar organizations. And what do they do? They're, 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 only, they're only interested in doing certain things as long as they're getting that funnel of money. And they're going to hold, they're going to do the policy or uh, they're going to do the bidding of whoever gives them the most money personally, because they, obviously if they get caught, you know, putting their hands in a cookie jar on their organization that the money's coming through, it, it, it's amazing what money does to people's uh, ethical amours in terms of what they're willing to, to, to uh, give up and what they're willing to do to other people, even though they know it's wrong. I mean, uh, I think the medical field can be 
indictable for that. That their their only interest, the reason why they're doing so many of the things they're doing is because of uh, their research. You know, obviously research dollars. You can't fund a lab, or you can't fund. Uh, uh, you know, and the the only science that gets uh, the only science that gets out to us are the are the best funded science. It's not like most of these people are going at this point. They look at it as they can't make any innovations, or they can't put it this way. They won't. They won't stand out in science. Uh, they won't achieve what they want to achieve in science if they don't have something that they can market. Now scientists are just turning into basically product makers. They're being uh, funded purely for they. They're getting funded because if they can't bring something to market. That's why vaccines and, and what have you are so innovative, so to speak. That's why we've heard about the mRNA vaccine so much. And I'm not going to pretend to know enough about the science there to, to even go into that, though. I think I think there's there's some um, there's an uh, uh, for the people that their expertise is uh, biology or they worked with uh, that in particular field and they got their got their degree in that. They always find they they I noticed that. I've I've seen a few that present their their ideas on that, and they present them in such a way that make it seem like they they think they they've learned something that makes it so easy. Uh, they they forget that not everybody uh, was intrigued at that particular moment by human biology, not because they didn't think it was interesting, but because the way it was presented to them was in a boring manner, and that the you know. And maybe the person that was presenting it to them was mediocre at best in terms of uh, in terms of explaining what was going on. So people that have gone on to university and got their degrees in those particular fields, uh, there's a certain amount of smugness they've had about this. And then of course you don't know whether they're lying to you at not at, at some point, or whether they're you know how much they're motivated by you know. They're they're motivated more by one upmanship over certain people than they are about explaining the idea in a cognitive way that everybody can easily understand. And so I've seen a wide array of that in the past year. Certain people have been uh, good at clarifying what's going on here, or or certainly understanding the missteps that can happen with this uh, modification program. Whereas I've seen others who have glibly uh, criticize and of course you wonder who's you have to when you start looking at who's motivating them you find out who it is and it's either a Gates Foundation entity or affiliate or something along that lines and then that makes you you immediately have to discount whatever they say that comes out of their mouth because then it tells you you know how evil they are uh, they may not be you know, like I said, I don't think they're then. Then in their case, they are not uh, psychopathic or sociopathic. They're just they're just evil because uh, they've uh, they they bought into the line and they're they're no longer able to do anything but just allow it to happen. I'm gonna see if I can end this uh, broadcast with uh, uh, Polly again. Let's see if I can find the clip that I'm looking for. I'll let I'll let it this play out and then we'll go from there. Let's listen to the next uh, section of Scott Peck's talk. Evil, then, is most often committed in order to scapegoat. And the people I label as evil are chronic scapegoaters. They attack others instead of facing their own failures. 
As life often threatens their self-image of perfection, evil people are often busily engaged in hating and destroying that life, usually in the name of righteousness. The fault, however, may not be so much that they hate life as that they do not hate the sinful part of themselves. If you look back on what I just said about the, you call the waitress or the nurse on their filthy, dirty fingernails, and now it's you. You're the rude one. doesn't matter that their filthy, dirty fingernails could make you actually sick. You're the bad one because you noticed. And that's just a tiny example of scapegoating. I mean, clearly scapegoating is the impetus behind all of the genocides that have ever happened. All of our troubles are caused by whatever group, X group. Doesn't even matter at all what the group is. If you get to a point where you say all of our troubles are caused by X group, then you are scapegoating. And now here is a difficult thing. Because here I am saying, all of our troubles are caused by evil people. So am I scapegoating them? <laughs> I know that they would love to frame that, and they would. That's exactly how they would come back at me. How can you say that? You're doing exactly what you're accusing us of doing, they would say. I don't know. I'll leave that one to everyone else to figure out. But scapegoating is it's a very, very deep phenomenon that, to me, this is one of the lessons, the main points of Christianity, is we ended sacrifice. We ended scapegoating. Jesus did. I didn't. I wasn't there. But we're supposed to honor that tradition. We do not take an innocent being whether it's an animal or a human. We do not take an innocent being and then put our sins onto it symbolically and kill it so that we can be absolved of the things we did. Similarly, we don't heap our sins onto an innocent being and then shun those beings and send them off into the wilderness. Sacrifice is, is tied hand in hand with scapegoating. Because what it always comes down to is that the guilty party transfers their guilt onto another. So that the other can be symbolically punished for the sins of the person who actually did the, did the thing. Did the sin. Committed the sin. Told the lie. Kept the secret. Killed. Cheated stole whatever it was they did. And Christianity, Christianity is the only religion that I know of that offers a hand and says, if you confess your sins, your transgression, you don't need to sacrifice anyone or anything. The secret is you admit you did it wrong. You transgressed. You sinned. You cheated. You lied. You stole. You killed. You maimed. You hated. You dishonored. You desecrated. You admit it. You repent and you can be free.
is the beauty of Christianity, the end of scapegoating, the end of sacrifice, that sort of sacrifice. Not personal sacrifice, that's a different thing. But the evil people, as Scott Peck says, that is the death knell to them. They will do anything to avoid that. Their number one priority is hiding what they've done that is wrong. They absolutely can't tolerate even thinking about it. And this is why we have the gaslighting, and this is why we have the narrative building and the storytelling. All of it is meant to cover up for the mistakes and the sins of the system they participated in or their individual sins and transgressions, both. And it just gets worse as time goes on. We always hear in, in uh, criminology that the cover-up is worse than the crime. Well, that goes a thousand times for our psychology or our... So that that is a good place to uh, cut that. So as she's discussing there and, and has she, you know, the, the cover-up at the end there. So that is how I perceive our... Washington institution because um, they needed to cover up and they had the bigger the cover up the bigger the crime um, there's many years of doing this and it seemed to escalate in the last five years in the five six years uh, when Trump took office they had to they had to make him the scapegoat for everything you know the Russian collusion that he he uh, worked with the Russians in order to get elected. Sure, I'm sure there was Russian interference uh, to the level and the degree that Trump had any knowledge of it. He didn't. There, there's not. A, there's no evidence. They they spent they spent uh, two years and millions and millions of dollars and had tons of investigations to make up fabrications and they uh, and half truths and and trying to set him up and do all this stuff and you know who's behind all that the democrats in one in one respect but in both sides this case and the republicans too i'm not this isn't even about politics this is about a a moral corruption uh that are a, a, a level of evil that has existed in dc for decades now in the decade in the in the evil there is is that everybody there is a it has has ignored the reality that they are responsible for the crimes that they've they they're responsible for the crimes they've committed. Now, what's more saddening is the amount of people out here in our society who have voted for that evil. Um, and, and I'm not going to dismiss my own uh, complicity in in voting in you know whatever. You have to vote for somebody. You know, you always heard that. Well, you got to vote for somebody. Um, that's true. Uh, but then we've been given this false dichotomy that you have to vote a, a Democrat or a Republican and that you can't vote for an independent candidate. And the media is bought by the politicians and are, are at least influenced by the political campaigns, the billions of dollars that have gotten interjected into uh, elections and also the billions of dollars, uh, you know, Think about it. Michael Bloomberg owned his own uh, media outlet, Bloomberg Media. Michael Bloomberg in in the 2020 election, uh, if you look up the federal election uh, 
uh, website, uh, he interjected $1.1 billion into the election campaign. Why? Ask yourself, why would, uh, why would he need to interject that much money into the campaign? He, he wasn't in the, he wasn't even in, he didn't even run for office more than four or four or five weeks. He got into the campaign and he got out unceremoniously. He was flayed on stage. He's a billionaire. He's worth 40 or $50 billion when he came into the campaign. He's doubled his net worth since then. So actually, if you think about it, uh, from the time that he uh, he uh, put in the billion dollars, he's got a return on investment for his money because ever since this uh, uh, crisis has kicked off, he's doubled his, in- his income. Gates has doubled his income. Uh, Amazon's Jeff Bezos is worth shit tons more money. They're all worth more money. So for their from their standpoint, th- this has been a very healthy uh, crisis. From their crisis came out opportunity which it should tell you something about who they are because you don't hear anything about them donating any of that, taking their, their proceeds and sending it back to the people. You're not hearing anything about them, uh, uh, you know, rescuing small businesses, giving them an influx of capital. In many cases, most of these small businesses wouldn't have needed more than, you know, twenty or thirty or forty thousand dollars to get through a month or two of, uh, of normal expenses, you know, for rent and, Paying electricity or paying uh, paying uh, uh, their employees at least partially something uh, through that, but you don't hear anything about these uh, these multi billionaires who who benefited the most from this entire collapse, the money monetary train, the gravy train, and they'll say, well, it's not up to me to do that. It's like, yeah, you 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 understand that you know people are still hurting because of the asshole nature of this whole situation. You knew that wasn't going to happen. D.C. got plenty of money interjected into it. Uh, All the candidates got money interjected into their pots uh, of cash. And like I said, the people that are in in D.C. right now are shifting the blame onto us. I mean, Nancy Pelosi comes out every every so often and she shifts the blame onto, she, I mean, recently she, she called it white supremacy. I go... I've never. Here's the thing, if 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 such a if such such a thing existed in in such a, a poisonous way across this country, um, it wouldn't have just happened. In, it didn't happen because of Donald Trump. But of course, that's what they want you to believe. They want you to believe that he brought it back or he resurrected this 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 uh, old uh, old hatred. And, and don't get me wrong, there are people out here that are racist. That we know that, but that being said, it, it racism or overt racism, this display of it, is is not the issue in this country. It hasn't been. This is a, this is a canard driven by people like Bill Gates. All, when George Floyd, when that event took place, all of Gates's websites changed over to racism as a health issue. They connected the two together, and they've been trying to connect those two together you know, feverishly throughout our throughout our medical field. They they've made COVID into a, a a racial cudgel. They've made it into the fact that they make it into something that they make it seem like people 
people, through no fault of their own, can control somehow a virus and how it interacts with people of different ethnicities. The fact that the ACE2 receptor and obesity, and obesity is more prevalent amongst uh, African American or we'll just call them black Americans or, or certain racial uh, 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 groups, Hispanic or whatever, it's probably more prevalent in certain populations than others, depending upon where you live in the United States. If you live in the deep south, they would be there's going to be some marked contrast, whereas compared to the upper Midwest, and there's going to be different uh, uh, a representation of that based upon if you live in Houston, Texas, or whether you live in in uh, Abilene, Texas, or if you live in Podunk. Uh, Wyoming or, you know, some Minot, North Dakota, for uh, for cripe's sakes. Um, and they know this, and they are exploiting this, and, and that goes to the evil. They have to create a bigger and bigger, uh, a bigger and bigger problem in order to cover up for the last problem they just had, and that's where we're heading. So I've talked a lot. I've given you some clips from other people, um... I didn't think I'd do a two-hour broadcast, but I did, and I can see how hard it is. <laughs> I can realize how uh, people like uh, Rush Limbaugh and others uh, to do three hours, is it takes a lot of work, a lot of preparation, and I didn't give you as much as I wanted to. But I've enjoyed the broadcast. I've enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the broadcast because it, it gave me a way to... Um, express my thoughts on a on a wide on the, on this particular topic I guess I hope my hope for the United States of America and the world at large is to recognize that we have people that are going to do things you may not even realize that they are they are the the problem that we need to overcome so keep your head on Keep your thoughts focused on an objective that you can achieve. And hopefully, we'll come through this a stronger world, a stronger nation. The United States of America is the most important nation, in my opinion, that's ever existed. Based upon the values that were instilled in the U.S. Constitution, which many other countries have uh, mimicked, an imperfect union, but it's a union well worth keeping. And my hope is that we can bring this country together and fight the forces of evil and fight the psychopaths and sociopaths. And I don't know how long the fight's going to go on, but I do know it's really just begun. So care out there. Have a uh, safe and wonderful day. God bless the United States of America. God bless you.